I think the most important issues for a consumer to be prioritizing are the issues that matter to them. There's no such thing as an ethically or sustainably infallible choice when it comes to any type of purchase decision or lifestyle decision. You know, you're always making trade-offs. Welcome back to episode 127 of That's So Maven. Before we jump into today's episode with Amy Ann Cadwell, I do want to thank our sponsor, Anne-Marie Gianni Skincare. I'm really excited to be teaming up with them for the month of November to offer you guys an incredible deal. So Anne-Marie Skincare is the brand that I use every single day. I'm a huge fan of their aloe cleanser as well as their herbal facial oil. They also have incredible serums and their exfoliant is amazing. And they're actually offering a week trial of four of their products, which includes the cleanser and oil, the exfoliant and their anti-aging serum for just $10. I actually find that it lasts for longer than a week, which is awesome. And it just allows you to get a sense of the products and if they work for your skin, it's just $10, includes free shipping. So it's really worth it to see if these products are for you. What I love about them is that everything is either organic or wild crafted, ethically sourced and great for your skin. So if you're looking to switch to cleaner beauty or more natural skincare, Amory Gianni is an amazing brand. If you guys have any questions about it, I'm always happy to answer. I really am genuinely a fan and use it every single day. So I'm including a link in the show notes, which will take you to the page that has the special there. So that's the place where you put in your order. If you already love their products or if you want to put in an order, you can use the code MAVEN15 at checkout and that will help you save 15% off any of their products. So if you already use their products, that is a great option for you guys. If you want to try them out, definitely check out this special for the month of November. I highly, highly encourage you because I love the products. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. I was really, really excited to get connected to the founder of The Good Trade, Amy Ann Cadwell. I'm a big fan of The Good Trade. I love their blog. I follow them on Blog 11. I subscribe to their newsletter. And sort of serendipitously, I got connected to her. And I was so excited when she was willing to come on the show and chat with me. I love their mission. I love that they're trying to make sustainability more accessible and just help provide easier tips to live more sustainably and to make more conscious choices. So in today's episode, we're going to chat a lot about how you can make those small shifts and why the shifts from one person look different from another person and that that's okay. And we're also going to be talking a lot about fast fashion. I think this is particularly important right now as the holiday season is ramping up and there's a lot of spending that's happening is how you can make more conscious choices when it comes to your spending, especially when it comes to fast fashion, understanding what fast fashion is. We actually have an episode where we talk about fast fashion with Lee Vosberg from Style Bee, and that is episode 83. I believe I will also include that in the show notes if you want to check it out. But we're going to be getting into a little bit more around fast fashion and how you can make more sustainable choices when it comes to clothing and shopping. It really is a challenging thing to talk about because everybody has different priorities. And I think that's really important. We don't all need to be doing the exact same thing, but we all need to start making some changes that are in line with our priorities that maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable because choosing to remember your coffee cup isn't the easiest thing to do. It does require that extra step, but it can feel really good if that's something that you're really passionate about. If you're someone who doesn't drink coffee out and prefers to have coffee at home, that's awesome too. So 
you just need to figure out like what are the things that matter to you and how can you stick to those choices and maybe make yourself a little bit uncomfortable in the process and how to navigate that. So that's really what this episode is all about. I'm so excited to be chatting with Amy Ann. And with that, let's jump into the show. Here's Amy Ann. Hi, Amy Ann. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you. It was really funny kind of how we got connected. I had actually discovered The Good Trade a couple of months ago. And as soon as I found it, I was like, wow, this site is amazing. What an incredible resource. And then got connected to your team. And so I was really thrilled that we're able to chat today because I'm a genuine fan and have loved all the content you've been putting out. Awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. So for people who aren't familiar with you and with The Good Trade, Do you mind just filling them in a bit on kind of your background and how you got started with all of this? Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm CEO and co-founder at The Good Trade. We are a digital media company. We reach 50 million readers a year with sustainable fashion and lifestyle content. So we reach our readers across our website, newsletter, social media properties, and our mission is really to be the premier resource for conscious women and men providing them with meaningful content about the issues that matter for an inspired and intentional life. Um, Yeah, so we started the publication five years ago while I was in graduate school studying social entrepreneurship and sustainability. And now our team of writers and editors work from our office in Los Angeles. And we have an amazing network of contributors around the world who also contribute to the work. So Have you always been passionate about sustainability and about writing and journalism and all of that? Or is that something that kind of came out of your program? I'm curious how things got started. Yeah, yeah. It was very synergistic with my program. So during my graduate school studies in social entrepreneurship and sustainability, I was exposed to a way of thinking that really asked more of companies and businesses than merely existing to maximize their shareholder value. So I think I, you know, really had this transformation of thought during that time as I was exposed to so many companies and organizations that were working to do better by both people and the planet. And it was during grad school that I first watched the documentary, The True Cost. And it's, um, you know, for listeners that haven't seen the documentary, it's on Netflix. It's very accessible. It's a great watch. But essentially, the documentary tells a really compelling story of how fast fashion specifically is depleting the earth's resources and leveraging essentially slave labor to pass along a cheap cost to the end consumer. So I began focusing my graduate studies on labor issues, finding that hundreds of billions of dollars of profit are generated each year from laborers around the world who work in you know, fairly unthinkable conditions to produce many of the products that we eat and use and wear and bring into our homes every day. And um, and it's certainly fashion, but not just fashion. And I think we're now at a spot, you know, in 2019, 2020, where we recognize the role of throwaway fashion, what it plays in the climate crisis. And uh, these things are now harder for us to avoid. So, um, Back in 2014, when we started the publication, you know, like many of my friends and family, I was really disturbed by the issues behind fast fashion and other industries, but I didn't really know where to start in changing kind of my own purchasing habits and lifestyle decisions. And I became really curious about my own role as a consumer to support businesses that aligned with my values. So this 
concern and curiosity eventually became the inspiration for starting the site. Wow. So it really came out of just looking at your own purchasing habits and then, you know, learning more about what's happening behind the scenes. And I feel like, like you said, in 2019, we are becoming a lot more aware of these things. But I also think there's a lot of confusion. And I was reading just a few months ago about how 8% of all carbon emissions come from the fashion industry, yeah. which is mind-blowing. Like that is a substantial amount from like the clothing that we wear on our bodies. So for people who maybe aren't familiar with the concept of fast fashion, can you just give a little bit of background about what it means? Yeah, absolutely. So we have like a fantastic write-up on our site too that goes into the history and kind of where we are. And But in short, fast fashion is basically on-demand fashion that is created and mass-produced in a very short cycle. It leverages essentially very low wages internationally to then be shipped, you know, wherever to the end consumer. And the point of fast fashion is that it's not made high quality. It's meant to be worn only a few times because the garment is so, you know, poorly and quickly made. And then that garment typically ends up in a landfill. And as you said, fashion is one of the most polluting industries in the world. So there's a huge human impact with that cycle in terms of kind of the laborers that are being exploited to make that cycle happen so quickly. But then there's also the massive environmental impact of having so many garments that were not ever created for quality or to have a long life cycle or to be mended or, you know, washed several times or really contribute in a long-term way to someone's life. So that's fast fashion. I think we're, you know, moving quickly as a society to think much more deeply about what the items are that we bring into our home and our life and like to think about quality, to think about buying for a longer term life cycle and to also consider the history of that garment or that item and consider like who was involved in the process of making that as well. It's really interesting to me because when I think back, you know, a hundred years ago, Obviously, like accessibility to buying clothing wasn't as easy, but there was more of this idea that like you only buy something if you absolutely need a new piece of clothing. Mending was huge. Secondhand clothing was so important. Where along the way did we stop caring about, you know, reusing clothing and mending clothing and just buying something new? Yeah, I I mean, I think the answer to that question is broad and vast and involves industrialization and globalism and massive consumer capitalistic um, appetite. And, you know, the way that we like do business around the world has massively changed in the last several decades due to globalism and due to the kind of industrialized society in which we live. And I, I think there's a conversation to have a larger critique about how we've arranged society in general and who it benefits and how that works. But I do think that there's this appetite and this interest in And I think it intersects really powerfully with the wellness movement as well. And it's this appetite to like 
bring things into our life that matter and mean something and to have more integration in our lives. So I think there's this longing in our readers that has been expressed to us in our community about a desire to have like a slower pace of life, first of all, but then to resist this expectation that the amount of stuff we are supposed to have in our lives is like so many and so vast. And I definitely think there's like a really positive movement where people are feeling this need to, and this desire to simplify it and to return to like, you know, how did my grandmother approach fashion? Well, she like bought really beautiful, high quality garments. She mended them. She passed them down. You know, there was like a genuine love and almost like sacredness to how she approached fashion in her life. And that came out of certainly a need for, um, you know, just resources and scarcity in a different economic era. But I think there's something kind of, you know, nostalgic and coming back around for people that are longing for some of the simpleness and the, I think, like wholeness that that way of life brings. Absolutely. And I think you made a great connection between, you know, sustainability and the wellness movement. I'm seeing a lot in the wellness space that, you know, the last few years have been about all of these like new products and these new services and all these things to make you feel better. And yet all the choices and all these different products are really contributing to a sense of confusion around like what's actually good. And I think people are discovering that the key is really to eliminating all of the noise and to just getting back to the basics and maybe adding a few things in here and there, but not feeling like you need to do everything. You don't need to buy every single like new adaptogenic product. And you also don't need to buy every single trendy piece of clothing. And I think people are becoming a lot more critical of what they're bringing into their space, into their homes, just into their like mind, because it's so much to take in. Yeah, I think that's 100% um, accurate to like how our community is feeling for sure. There's this massive overwhelm about the wellness industry. And we've just written some pieces on like, how to navigate wellness fatigue. And it's like when wellness becomes about buying things, it's truly no longer wellness. You know, it's really moving you away from what brings a sense of well-being, which is, you know, closer to simplicity than capitalism. And, you know, creating that like want and desire, I think is what a lot of the wellness industry has kind of thrived on in the last few years. What I also find kind of interesting is just this idea of consumerism with wellness and, you know, trying to do good by your body, but not necessarily doing good by the planet. And just sort of how these two things have become siloed instead of interchanged because we are not well if the planet is not well and vice versa. Yeah. So that that's just been a really interesting observation for me is that, you know, in the pursuit of us feeling like the best versions of ourselves, we make massive sacrifices for the quality and the health of our planet. 
Yeah. And I think there's also an interesting question to be asked about where those two things overlap because there are plenty, like as you're saying, there are plenty of ways they don't overlap. Mm -hmm. But then there are also ways that I think, you know, when it comes to like beauty or personal care, looking for really refined, minimalist, organic ingredients is good for you and the planet. And there are like win-wins, I think, in wellness that contribute to a way of life that is less wasteful and less filled with toxic ingredients and harmful practices. And so that's a really exciting part of the conversation, I think. But the consumerist side of it is, I think, a very harmful part of the conversation, both for our well-being as people, but then also for the planet. Absolutely. So that brings me to my next question, because there's so many decisions to make in terms of how to be a more conscious consumer. And you guys really explore all sides of the coin. You're approaching it from so many different perspectives. So I'm curious, you know, from the perspective of everything that's happening out there when it comes to sustainability or when it comes to wellness, how can you be a more conscious consumer and how can you decide what to prioritize? Yeah, I think that's such an important and essential question because it's a fairly overwhelming, I think, conversation to just start. So my perspective has changed over time. And where we sit now is that I think the most important issues for a consumer to be prioritizing are the issues that matter to them. So I think there's no such thing as an ethically or sustainably infallible choice when it comes to any type of purchase decision. I think your or lifestyle decision, you know, you're always making trade-offs. There's always some amount of waste or impact on the planet. And so I think being a conscious consumer is just that. It's applying mindfulness and presence to that which you consume or that what you decide to do or bring into your home. And so, you know, I think as an example for me personally, um, sustainability and labor issues are really important to me when I look at a company I'm going to buy from or a lifestyle habit I'm going to make. But I also have a really high value for female leadership and representation within the companies that I purchase from. And that matters to me personally. I think for many of our readers, you know, they're vegan. And so their ethics draw them away from any products or companies that include any type of animal product. And I think the types of values that we have are as vast as we are. You know, we all have different issues that I think matter to us. And so, I think an important way to begin the conversation is just to think about your own values and how you might align them with your purchase decisions and daily habits. Definitely. And there was this quote that was going around the web a few months ago that was all about how there is no such thing as like the perfect human and that it's important to care about one thing and stick to that one thing and be powerful in that movement and not to judge somebody because they prioritize something else. And I think we've become so critical of humans who aren't perfect and yet none of us are. Like you have to stick to what's most important to you and feel a sense of empowerment in that instead of being so hard on everybody who maybe doesn't share the same values as you or even just being hard on yourself for not being perfect. I think that's so important. I think, you know, ultimately it's up to each of us to live in a way that resonates with our personal values and beliefs. And 
there is no progress if we don't leave room for other people to do the same. And so I think, you know, together we're collectively powerful and capable of driving significant social change through our own, you know, purchasing power and lifestyle decisions. But I think you're absolutely correct in giving ourselves the room and other people the room to let that look like whatever it looks like for them. So something that I've found personally challenging and also think is just a challenging conversation around sustainability is how to find that line between what's important to you, what's in line with your values, what can work with your lifestyle, and how to get a little uncomfortable. Because I think Mm -hmm. you can't make change without being a little uncomfortable. It's not always easy to remember your coffee cup or your straw. Like you have to have that extra level of consciousness and how do you decide like what is important to go out of your way to do and what just isn't going to work with your lifestyle because that's something that like when I have a conversation around sustainability some people are like I'm never going to remember my coffee cup and for me like that's something that I'm willing to go out of my way to grab it and so how do you find that line? Yeah I think that's a great question. I think it's you know all about assessing where you are and thinking about the one or two like small but meaningful changes that you can make in your life that makes sense for your lifestyle. (laughs) And small steps are really important. So I think that's an incredibly powerful place to start is just to think about like what are those couple of easy wins that, you know, over the course of like a decade, if you're bringing a reusable cup every single time, you know, that's thousands and thousands of cups that you will have personally not used and created that amount of waste. So I do think it's an important part of the conversation to acknowledge that like we cannot take all of this on at one time. And for a lot of our readers, fashion has been a really natural place to start to change their lifestyle. So buying less, buying secondhand, buying for quality, that's been a way for people to kind of look at an area in their life and slowly make changes and slowly work towards a goal of eliminating fast fashion or brands that don't align with their values. But there are other, you know, certainly other areas of our life. So like, you know, food and cooking and thinking about like, well, what are the one or two or three easy wins where I can reduce my plastic waste, where I can reduce food waste? Transportation is another huge area of our lives. You know, where can I carpool or ride my bike or, you know, reduce the amount of car travel or plane travel that I'm doing. So I think there are like a lot of exciting steps in a number of categories of our lives, but we have to make sure that those changes like make sense and are integrated in our life so that they're sustainable for us. When I see people taking too much on at one time, you know, it feels disheartening to me because it doesn't necessarily feel like it's a long-term solution. Yeah. I mean, there's also the piece, like if you go too far, like you don't, of course, you don't want to be consuming things in a lot of plastic, but let's say you're traveling and that's the only option, you know, choosing not to eat because something is wrapped in plastic isn't necessarily the most sustainable choice for your body. So it's such a a fine line between, you know, making these choices that are more sustainable, that are better for the planet and not like sacrificing your own well-being in the process, but also knowing that some sacrifices need to be done and finding that line, which looks different for everyone. Yeah. And I think that's exactly right. And 
I think it's also like it serves no one if you sacrifice your own, you know, health or well-being because in the long run that's not sustainable for you and that's not impactful for everyone else. But I also think sometimes it's just about a mindset change, you know, I think so for me I'm not um I wouldn't call myself a vegan, but anytime I consume like an animal product or meat, I think about that. And I never, you know, growing up, like I grew up in the Midwest and like you had meat at every single meal. (laughs) And I never thought about that. I never thought about the sustainability aspect of that. You know, meat requires much, much more resources in terms of the planet than plant-based food. And so now it's like, well, I haven't taken this step to become vegan in my life, but I have taken this step that every time I consume a product uh, that is, you know, involves that, I'm conscious of it. I'm thankful to that animal. I'm thankful to that process. And I'm aware that I'm taking up more resources than I would if I had made a different choice. And so I think, you know, applying that sense of presence also helps kind of redirect our behavior in a really gentle way, but it does not have to be like an all or nothing lifestyle change. Definitely. I think you brought up a really important point around things not being kind of all or nothing. And that's where you fall into this trap of things kind of backfiring. And, you know, there are people who are able to transition to a vegan diet or, you know, maybe they can afford an electric car. You know, there are things that really work with people's lifestyles. I know I'm someone who has kind of tried to be plant-based at certain points in my life. And while I definitely eat plant-forward and eat much less meat than I used to, being completely vegan really didn't work with my lifestyle. I didn't feel well. I needed a little bit of meat and seafood in my diet. And I think if you look at it through the lens of like the sustainable choice is to not eat any meat products or seafood, then you have failed if you are. But when you look at reducing and, you know, making those just small changes on a day-to-day basis, even if it means eating less meat from time to time, like those add up. And I think we have to be very careful to not view things through this black and white lens that you have to be all in on something for it to be effective. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think in terms of diet, you know, the flexitarian approach as it's kind of been named where it's like a movement towards a progress towards more plant forward. Diet is a great example of kind of life in general, like how can we be more flexible? And it doesn't have to be a strict binary, but what are those steps that you're making or that you can make in your life? simply and accessibly and thoughtfully that do have quite a bit of impact over the long run. And also just this idea that our decisions don't exist in a vacuum. Like when we make a choice, there's always another choice that could be made. I think an example of this would be a couple of weeks ago, I, I was getting an almond milk latte and someone commented on the fact that I was consuming almond milk because almonds can be very water intensive and it's not necessarily the most sustainable. And while that may be true in comparison to something like oat milk, when you look at, you know, what it takes to produce dairy milk, that's way higher in terms of water consumption. And so, you know, that choice is actually sustainable from one lens and totally unsustainable from another lens. And so these choices, they just don't exist in a vacuum. Exactly. 
Yep. There's no choice without trade-offs. And I think when we get hung up on those like really small, um, you know, decisions or trade-offs, we lose the bigger picture of like, are we applying a level of mindfulness about what we're consuming, what we're buying? Are we aware of the choices we're making and the impacts they have? And I think that's where forward movement really happens. Definitely. So, you know, I love that you guys focus a lot on just reducing consumption, on saying no, remembering that reduce is the first R, reducing and reusing before recycling. But, you know, there are certain things that you need to buy from time to time. So, you know, let's take the perspective of fashion. What are some of your favorite sustainable brands out there? Yay, I love this question. Um, So we, especially when it comes to fashion, we look for transparency in the brands we support really above all. We look for companies that share their values publicly and back those values with transparent reporting. Personally, my favorite brands for fashion, I love a lot of the LA-based sustainable brands because I've gotten to see a lot of their factories and kind of the behind-the-scenes process. So Reformation would probably be at the top of my list. My favorite. I love Reformation (laughs) so much. Yeah, we, we've been able to spend a lot of time with their team and in their factory, and they're very thoughtful about the entire process, the packaging, the sourcing of the materials, the construction of the garments. And then their pieces are just like beautiful and well-made and very like it girl, cool LA. And so I love Reformation. For beauty, I love the brand RMS. Um, for bedding and Furniture and home. I love the brand Avocado. The list goes on. Uh, We have tons of product guides on our site for really everything. So, like, you know, shoe brands, sustainable and fair trade shoe brands, to mascara brands, to kind of all different kinds of products and product types. And I think that can be a, a fun place to start for people if they're looking to make a specific purchase, you know, buy a coat for winter or update their um, towels or sheets or things like that. Totally. And you are just the ultimate resource for all of these things, which is so amazing. That's something that comes up when I talk a lot about some of the sustainable brands that I like is the price point yes. and people feeling uncomfortable spending that much money. Yeah. How do you have that conversation with people where it's like, this is why it costs more? Yeah. Well, that's such an important part of the conversation. And I think, you know, kind of to zoom out more holistically, we, our community talks a lot about buying secondhand as, you know, reduce and buying secondhand as kind of the first steps in the lifestyle. And that makes the lifestyle much more accessible. So when you buy less and when you buy secondhand, those are kind of easier ways to rearrange your resources and your budget. So I think those two things, like it'd be very difficult (laughs) to maintain the level of, you know, items that you're buying from all sustainable brands because the cost and the price point is much higher. And so I think that's an important part of the conversation is like buy secondhand when you can and reduce the amount of things you're buying overall. But then thinking about the cost of more 
you know, ethical and sustainable brands. I think the cost is a really important part of the overall picture when it is a reflection of what went in to produce that product. So when you're paying fair wages, when you're producing in a thoughtful and sustainable way, it massively changes the unit economics of the products that you're purchasing. And so there is a difference in cost there. And I think that's something that people, it requires a lifestyle change to kind of plan for items and think about things in a different way. And, you know, earlier on, you talked about this idea of mindfulness and having that when it comes to your purchasing decisions. And I feel like that's something where we've kind of gotten into this headspace where there's something that's new and trendy and you want it, taking a moment to be like, is this something that I'm going to want to have in my closet or in my beauty collection or on my bed or whatever it might be for a long time? Or am I just purchasing this because this is, you know, trendy and I'll look cool for right now? And I think once I shifted my mindset to I want to own things that are going to have a very long shelf life and also that can be used in many different ways. So especially when it comes to fashion, like is this something that is going to work with a couple different outfits or you know, whether it be working, meetings, if I'm filming a video or something like that. I don't want to buy something that's only going to apply for one situation. And just kind of this idea of having a capsule wardrobe, which if you live in San Francisco is basically impossible because there's no seasons, (laughs) which I discovered when I moved here. But am I going to want to have this, you know, for many years to come and having that idea instead of these like passing trends and just having things that you're going to want to get rid of in three months from now? Yeah. And I think, you know, for me personally, I apply a very different rubric for things that I'm buying new to not new. So when I'm buying something new, I do ask all those questions. Like, will I wear this at least 30 times is kind of like the shorthand rule that I think about. Like, am I going to pull this pair of shoes or this pair of pants, like time after time after time? And does it work? Will it have multiple uses? You know, is it well-made? All of that. So that's the rubric I apply when I'm buying new. But I do think there's room to like scratch the itch for wanting to be trendy um, in this conversation as well. And so some of the ways that we think about that are clothing swaps are a really fun way to like get together with your friends and swap things you're like less interested in that might be really fun for someone else. Obviously shopping secondhand, you know, that has minimal impact on the environment. It keeps things in circulation and um, better for a garment to be like, you know, used and worn and loved and kind of extending the life cycle of it. And then also another thing we talk about is renting. There's obviously some impact in that to have clothes like shipped to you and dry cleaned and things like that. But I certainly do that for my occasion wear, you know, for weddings or for public events, things like that, where you're going to be photographed. I think there's like a real conversation around like, you know, we're getting to a place where we're changing our mindset on like, yes, it is okay and actually great to rewear clothes and we should do that. But then also, if you have a very specific use case for a certain type of event, renting can be a thoughtful option. So, you know, it's all about balance and then thinking about like, well, when I am buying new, is this something that's going to last a really long time? 
Definitely. And it reminds me of this story that came up a few months ago. I had a wedding and I'm known for not doing a whole lot of planning before big (laughs) events. I'm not a big shopper. I don't necessarily enjoy the experience that much. And so I think about this stuff like a week before and I had a wedding coming up. And so my immediate instinct was to go to Reformation and to buy a dress there and something that I knew I'd wear to a couple other weddings in the future. And when I got there, there weren't that many things available in store. They do have some stuff available in store, but their online selection is much, much better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I couldn't find anything. And so I I decided I would, you know, take this shopping trip on the road and started walking around the area, going into different stores, which it's been a really long time since I've gone into brick and mortar stores, which is a really weird experience if you haven't done it in a long time. And I ended up in front of this secondhand store, which I've been in a couple of times. I didn't expect to find a you know black tie wedding dress there. I walked in. There was one fancy dress in the entire store. Tried it on. It fit perfectly. Oh, it was beautiful. It. And it was $22. Oh, and I was like, fantastic. you know what? This is why you buy a secondhand. And well, I felt really good about it. And I you know loved telling people that this was how I found the dress when people – we're admiring yeah. it or complimenting it in some way. Yet I got a lot of pushback from people about buying secondhand. And I don't know if this is a cultural thing or what it might yeah. be, but there are a lot of people who are uncomfortable with the idea of wearing secondhand clothing. How do you kind of dispel the myth that there's nothing wrong with secondhand clothing? Yeah. Um, where do you think that was coming from? From like a hygiene perspective? Yeah, I I think it was hygiene, just not knowing, you know, the person who owned it before you just totally. Yeah, I think that's a really fair question and thought. And so we have a we have a piece like a guide on this on our site that's like, here are like a couple quick steps when you bring something in. So like, you know, wash it, look at the hemming, trim up anything as you need, dry clean it, still dry cleaning like I used garment is going to be more sustainable than buying something new. And then, you know, obviously like if something's in good condition, then it probably is either really well made or hasn't been worn very much at all. And so, you know, keeping that in mind and then a really good washing and cleaning can make it feel as close to new as possible. Yes. And that was, you know, what I try and explain to people that Also, you know, we're not talking about clothing that has been worn so many different times. We live in this culture where things tend to be worn a couple of times and then people get rid of them. So, so much of the clothing that's available, especially, you know, since Marie Kondo and everybody cleared out all of their closets. Right. It's a great time to go secondhand shopping. Totally. There's a lot of stuff that is so gently used, like barely used at all. And that makes it even more compelling to go secondhand shopping. So... I'm yeah, trying I, I'm trying to push this idea, but I definitely think there is still some resistance to the idea of wearing something that belonged to someone else. Totally. There are so many types of secondhand shops as well. So you can find something like there are secondhand stores like exclusively designer clothes that have been very gently or not worn at all. So, you know, you can find what fits for you, I think, if you're kind of looking for a certain level of closeness to new. Definitely. 
So, you know, obviously buying clothing secondhand or, you know, when it comes to fashion, that's a huge sustainable choice you can make, whether it's buying secondhand or buying from a sustainably produced company. But on a day-to-day basis, what are some of the most positive choices that you can make for the environment? I'm thinking, you know, just smaller changes that maybe don't cost a lot or just require a slight lifestyle shift that can have a large environmental impact. Yeah. That's such a great question. I mean, again, I think there are so many small changes in different categories of your lifestyle. But general, bigger picture, you know, like as you go about your day, think about buying less, buying secondhand when you can. When you do buy new, buy for quality and ask questions about the values of the companies you purchase from. But then Think about plastic use, so reducing that when and where you can, using reusable cups, reusable straws, less takeout, less um, driving in your car. Like The more you can walk or bike or change the way your transportation is, those are all like really easy wins that have long-term impact. Also, like electric house use is a big environmental cost, so turning off the lights in your house when you leave or unplugging things. These are all like really small. Those are certainly like free changes you can make in your life that kind of add up in the long run. Totally. And that's something that when people are like, oh, well, I can't afford the sustainable option. I understand that. But I think there are so many small changes that you can make for absolutely nothing, like completely free or for under $10 that can have a long impact and a powerful impact. It requires, you know, slight changes, but it's worth it in the end. Totally. So if people are interested in learning more about you and about the good trade, where can they find more information? Yeah. So our site is thegoodtrade.com. And we love to tell people about our daily newsletter called The Daily Good. And it's a really great place to get started with our community. So it's a 30-second read delivered to our readers' inboxes every morning. And it's a roundup of like a few positive um, kind of thoughts and recommendations for sustainable podcasts or articles, brands. It's just a really quick kind of happy roundup every morning. We have 100,000 women on that list. And it's a really amazing community of people who care about the planet and care about taking care of themselves. So that's a great kind of introduction to our community. And then, yeah, our site has like all the product guides and lists that you can um, imagine. And if readers don't see what they're looking for, please, you know, feel free to let us know and we'll write content on that. And then our social channels are all at The Good Trade as well. Awesome. I highly encourage people to sign up for your email list. I've signed up. And like you said, it's just this happy thing that arrives in your inbox where you can feel empowered when it comes to making sustainable decisions. I usually read it like right after reading my New York Times recap. So it feels really good to read something positive about the world (laughs) and, and just feel that sense of empowerment in terms of making decisions that are more sustainable and better for our planet. So Thank you for sending that. Thank you for all the work that you do over at The Good Trade. I absolutely love what you're working on, and I'm really excited to see what's in store in the future. Thank you so much. Huge thank you to Amy Ann for coming on the show today. I highly encourage you guys to check out The Good Trade. I subscribe to their emails, and they're honestly just a really positive way of approaching sustainability and just make me think about things in a different way. So I love The Good Trade, and I hope you guys go out and support them. 
I'm going to shift gears here a little bit because I've had some things on my mind that I want to talk about. Something that I find challenging week to week here on the show is keeping you guys updated on what's happening in my life while also being okay with the fact that my life is not that exciting and that I make those choices for it to not be that exciting because that's what feels best for me. And I'm inspired to talk about this because there was actually a great New York Times article that came out a week or two ago all about how you can find joy and repeat experiences that we often perceive that the only way to get that sense of excitement and joy is to do new things. And I think a lot of this is perpetuated by social media and we're always sharing the new places we're going to, the new restaurants restaurants, the new travel, the new thing we bought. There's so much newness there and there can be an excitement to that. I mean, undoubtedly, it is awesome when you get to see a new place and the feeling of getting outside of your comfort zone is really, really great. That being said, there can also be a lot of joy in these repeat experiences and in things not always having to be new. And really what the article talks about is being able to find that through mindfulness. And that's something that I've really been working on in my life is how to be more mindful because my day-to-day work schedule and life just isn't the most exciting. And some of that has to do with, you know, just the season of our life that we are in right now. And also just like needing that sense of routine after years of kind of chasing that newness. I've just been really happy to kind of live my life and feel really present in that. And it makes it hard for me to come on the show each week and be like, here's the new exciting thing that's happening in my life because it isn't always that exciting, but that's a choice that I've made for my personal life that doesn't always feel natural professionally, especially you know, given that we live in a world where we share so much of ourselves with the world and I'm kind of navigating how that's going to look for me in the future. And so I've just been really trying to enjoy this season of my life and enjoy that I've been doing the same Bodhi walk every single day to the same place and that he finds so much joy out of it every single time we go on the walk. And it doesn't feel new to him, but he still loves it. And yet sometimes I find myself feeling down that I'm not enjoying it as much. And part of that is like, okay, let's change it up every now and then. And part of it is being like, I'm noticing this tree or I'm noticing that like the sun sets at a different time and just bringing that mindfulness into my life has been really, really incredible. So it's made it difficult for me to come on here and be like, here's the new exciting thing that's happening in my life because I'm not always feeling that way. It's also really interesting because this week represents three years of us being in San Francisco, which is crazy because it feels so much longer and yet it also feels like it was yesterday. So I'm like in this crazy time warp right now. And we know, when I say we, I'm talking about Kurt and I, we know that the next few years of our life are going to involve a lot of change. We do want to buy a house. We want to start a family. We don't know exactly what that timeline looks like, but we do know that a lot of change is coming. And so we're trying to really just sink into this season of our life where we are living in San Francisco and we're married and we're still young and we're working on our careers and that kind of stuff. And just owning that this is where we are, even if it doesn't always sound the most exciting and doesn't give us a whole lot to like prove to the rest of the world. But this is sort of what our world has become is just being able to prove these milestones to other people. And a lot of that is on social media, but also just like, you know, within your own internal friend group and family and just knowing that like, we're good, we're okay, we're feeling good where we are and trying to find that enjoyment and satisfaction in the routine and in what we know. So 
just something to think about, something that I wanted to share with you guys because it's been on my mind. It also has been inspiring a lot of my yoga classes this week. I try to draw inspiration from my life and bring that into my classes. So maybe that's something that I can translate here on the show rather than talking about the new place I'm visiting or the new thing that I'm doing, really just like what's inspiring me in my life right now. So if you guys are interested in that, just let me know. I would love to be able to share some of the things that I've been thinking about. If you guys are interested in hearing more about sustainability and conversations like the one that we had here on the show, definitely leave a review on iTunes and let us know. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss a future episode. Speaking of future episodes, I'm actually going to be skipping next week because it is a holiday here in the U.S. It is Thanksgiving and I'm going to be traveling. There is a chance that I may publish an episode But if I'm being totally honest, there is going to be a lot going on and I don't want to make that a priority. And I know you guys are going to be traveling. There are plenty of episodes that you can catch up on, 127 of them, in fact, if you haven't listened to all of them. So hopefully you will feel entertained along your journey if you are traveling or commuting somewhere. But yeah, I don't think there's going to be a new episode next week. But I will be back the following week through till the end of the year. And lots of exciting things to share. So hold on tight. That's coming in my year-end recap, which I have not yet recorded, but have a sense of what I'm going to be talking about in that. So stay tuned for that. Otherwise, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. If you are in the U.S. and celebrating Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Thanksgiving is really all about showing gratitude and having appreciation for your life, for the people in your life, for your friends, for your family, and just finding the small things that you're grateful for. So even if you're not celebrating Thanksgiving, you can always just dedicate a few hours to focusing on those things, maybe journal it out. So I encourage you to do that. I know that's something that I'm going to be focusing on because I feel like I have so much to be grateful for in my life. With that, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. Bye. 